Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. One of the first projects that I did in Haiti was to help rebuild a school building that was lost in the earthquake of 2010. It was at the Baptist Church of Croix-Hilaire, which is not very far from where I'm currently serving and living in Haiti. And the kids, it was like 400 students in this school and the church was roughly three times the size of our church and and every day the kids would come by and greet me as pastor they would say bonjour pas which means good morning pastor or bonjour venue pas which means god bless you pastor or pastor give me a dollar (laughs) which you know what that means but I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with that. I, I, you know, I was there to help build a school. So I was kind of surprised whenever Pastor O'Dara, sweet, sweet man, loved music, came to me and he says, I want you to preach on Sunday morning. And I says, Pastor, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I'm a nail bender. I'm a sawdust maker. I build things. I'm, I, I'm not a preacher. He says, Ernie, did you come here in the name of God? Yeah. He says, are you taking care of and leading these men that you brought with you? Yeah. Then you're a pastor, and I want you to preach on Sunday morning. And so I got in front of him, and it's been a joke with him ever since, and I started shaking my knees. And I thought he'd laugh at it and give me a break and tell me, no, okay, you, you don't have to preach. Instead, he chided me. No, sir, take this serious. When God calls you, you have to answer him. Stand up, put your shoulders back, lean into this task. And it surprised me. But I learned a couple of things that I want to pass on to you. First of all, don't underestimate the call God has on your life. It's not modesty. It's not humility. It's the lack of boldness. And it's the lack of faith. So when God invites you to something, step into it. The other nugget I would give you is I would ask you to consider to make it a habit of saying yes to God. Now, last night when Kevin called me, Pastor O'Dara's words came back to me, and so did the shaking in my knees. (laughs) But I would like to bring to you some scripture out of Isaiah. Isaiah 6. It's one of my, you know, I have many favorite passages, but this rates up in the top ten. 
It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I. Send me. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Yet, if the sun would go out, it would take 8.3 minutes for the darkness to reach Earth. Light is, I don't know how many miles that is, but they don't use miles to gauge how big things are in space. But light is a dependable uh, and consistent enough to where you can use it to measure things in space. And so the idea of how far light or the amount of distance that light travels in a year is called a light year. And so we measure things in God's universe by how far light travels, which is 186,000 miles per second. We measure that in light years. And our current understanding of the size of the universe is over a billion light years. That's how far we can see. And somehow they know that that just gets us to the city limits. There's other things out past that. What Isaiah saw that day was the creator of that. Was someone who breathed and that happened. Who spoke the word and it was formed. It was a realization of who God is. And it marked his life so much that he compared it or he remembered it this is the same year that King Uzziah died. 
It left such an impression on him that you see the remnants of that impression in his, in his writings, further in his book. In, in Isaiah 29, 16, he says, He is the potter, and he is certainly greater than you, the clay. Should the created thing say to the one who made it, He didn't make me? And then in Isaiah 40, verse 12 through verse 14, Isaiah asked these questions. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? That's, that one got me. You know, buildings are light years, and here it is. He's, he's measuring it by the span of his hand. Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give Him advice or teach Him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does He need instructions about what is good? Did someone teach Him what is right or show Him the path of justice. Life and faith is a progression. And the first step in faith is realizing who God is. And what happened to Isaiah and many of us is that one day we see God who, for who He really is. And he's big, really big. And he's powerful, really powerful. And he's just, he's perfectly just. Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you have come to a point where you realize that your last breath and your next breath is dependent on him. Or maybe your child that's just been born, you're looking at that child and you marvel at how their hand can hold on to your finger. Or how their toes curl when you touch your feet. Or how their eyes struggle to focus on you, then see you and then smile. Maybe it's at that moment that you realize that God created that, and He allowed you to participate in that creation. And the clouds separate, the fog lifts, and you see God for who He really is. That's the first step. That is the first step in the progression of faith. The next step is I mean, you first learn on who God is and realize who, who He really is. Then you realize who you really are. Because when you're standing 
next to that, when you understand the full scope of who God is, it really makes you look small. And you don't have to be told what your shortcomings are. You instantly know that you ain't living up to that. You can't. And the first thing that happens is that you realize you have nothing in your hand. You have nothing that will allow you to have a relationship there. The gap is too broad. Your sin is too bad. It's too deep. Isaiah mourned it. He said, woe is me. I'm doomed. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. I don't know what that's about. Maybe he had a potty mouth. I don't know. But he knew, he knew that he didn't make the grade. And he grieved over it. He had nothing to contribute. So the second step in your progression of faith, the first step is that you realize who God is and you realize in the second step who you are. And he realized that he didn't have anything to connect him and the loss was complete. It grieved him. It grieves us. When we realize who God is and how we stand in relationship to, uh, to him, it grieves us. If we're not in grief in step two, we miss step one. And so we, the very next thing that happens is step three, is that God intervenes on our behalf. And that's what he did for Isaiah. Isaiah was worried about his lips. And he, the seraphim, at God's instructions, took and purified Isaiah's lips, making them useful for service. And he forgave his sins. Now, here comes another nugget. I've been studying this for a long time, but one of the first lessons that I learned out of this is in verse 7. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. The guilt is removed and the sins are forgiven. I used to think those were the same things. And it's not. God removes the guilt and forgives the sin. If he only forgave the sin, you'd still carry that guilt with you. And I'm going to give you something that, that will help you understand some of the barriers that you might have in your walk and in some of the uh, ways that the enemy works. There is a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt looks backward and paralyzes you. 
He, the enemy whispers in your ear, who are you, little boy? Who do you think you are? You think you're big enough to give God's message? You're a nobody. And that tape will play and play and play again until you get discouraged. But here's how you know. It says God removed the guilt. If you have guilt, where did it come from? It came from the enemy. Because God took it away. That's how you know that it's the enemy speaking to you when you feel guilty. Conviction, on the other hand, does not look backward. It looks forward. Conviction says, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to change it. I'm going to take steps to move toward it. Conviction is a whole different animal than guilt. So, first step is that God, you realize who God is. Second step is you realize who you are and your need. And then it is God intervenes on your behalf. <coughs> we can't make it without him. He has designed us with purpose. He has designed us for a reason. And we can't make it without him. If he didn't intervene on our behalf, where would we be? He wants us to be a part of his family. He wants us to share in Jesus' inheritance in that creation that he has done. And so he invites you to be a part. Scripture says that, that Isaiah heard the Lord says, whom shall we send? Who, who is going to tell the people? Let me quote it exactly. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? You've seen God. I hope you have. I hope you've had this experience that Isaiah had. I hope that that clarity came and you saw God for who he is. But a lot of people haven't. And if you don't tell them, how are they going to know? The Bible's quite clear that, that without someone to tell them, they will never know. That's God's plan for you. That's how you participate. How will they know if you don't? Some people get this idea when God invites you, or let me rephrase it. This is an invitation, and it's clear that this is an invitation, but a lot of people think that it's a little rougher than that, you know. You need to be prepared and ready to say yes to God, because saying no to God is not a good thing. And some people think, well, that's more or less a godfather thing. Make them a promise they cannot refuse. It's not how he works. It's not how God works. God works by invitation. He wants you to be a part of it. He's not demanding that you be a part of it. 
Be ready to say yes to the Lord when it comes along. You don't have to have a five-year plan. You don't have to have a degree in divinity. Those things are useful, and you might be called to that. But that's not exactly, for somebody who's just getting started, that's not likely. It's not likely you're going to get a phone call in the middle of the night <laughs> and say, can you preach tomorrow? That was a very good affirmation for me, for where I am in my walk. I needed to hear from God that he still finds me useful. It's going to approach you. You do not have to go looking for it. God's invitation stands in front of you. And the more you say yes to him, the more you recognize those things. Now, now you recognize or you more recognize those invitations. Now, why does he do that? It is to prepare you and to advance you in your walk. If you say no, it stunts your growth. You don't get to grow. It doesn't matter when you say yes, it doesn't matter whether you do a good job or a bad job, God gets the glory out of it and you benefit from the experience. You learn what you did right, you learn what you did wrong. But the big thing is, you learn how God works in that. Because he'll put that in front of you. He will put those opportunities in front of you. You don't have to worry about it. You just have to be ready to say yes. God invites you into his work. Be prepared to say yes. You respond. Yes or no. And then the cycle repeats itself. Because when you say yes, then you experience your need for God and your blessings of God as you see him work in the situation that you have on that. We're in a mess. Haiti is in a mess. Where is the hope? Only God can tangle this, untangle this. Only doing what the church is supposed to be doing, only doing what we are supposed to be doing, just the little obedient things, is what's going to heal the land. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. God is looking for that connection. He's looking for the relationship. He wants to share his creation with humanity. And he invites us to be a part of that. He empowers us to be a part of that. 
He created us to be a part of that. Do what we're supposed to do. Take and say yes in the things that God invites us to. For much of my life, I lived Christianity as a practice, as a theory. It was untested. I mean, I, I believed the stories. I believed the. I believed that God had power. I just never had the guts to step into it. Disaster relief was how I started in saying yes to God. It taught me that doing a little thing for somebody in God's name tells them that God loves them. Maybe that's something you can do. Maybe there's people in the community that are suffering that you can help. But when I went to Haiti, things are so desperately bad there. The poverty is so complete. The voodoo, the practice of voodoo is so bad. The gangs are so vicious. You've probably heard about the 16 Americans that were kidnapped and they're now free, but they were ransomed out. We, Sharon and I just found out that a ministry called Papillon that we used to live very close to and knew no people there. A lady was having a baby and on the way to the hospital, they shot her husband and her son, killing her and the baby. A, all of the routes out of Port-au-Prince would supply fuel and food to the rest of the country are blocked by these gangs. Parliament is disbanded. They killed the president. There's no sign that any election is going to be held. It's desperate. Our country is divided more than it's ever been in my lifetime. It's suffering. And it's all suffering because God has been asked to leave. This is why he put us here. So that we can show the world what we have seen, what Isaiah has seen. There is a God. It's not a theory. It's not a philosophy. That's the real deal. He has the power and he deserves our devotion. And he needs us to step in and do that. Back of your bulletin, you see that we have three verbs that describe our church, or what we hope is our church. Love, grow, serve, and go. 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 Be active. Be proactive. Be ready to say yes when God invites you. 
when that person is standing in front of you. Maybe you've got somebody that's sick that needs you there. Nothing says God loves you better than being with somebody in trouble. Maybe somebody gives you a foothold on a conversation on spiritual things. Maybe somebody comes to you in advice. Let me tell you, the truth is attractive. I was on the front porch of my home in Haiti, and three young men were there, and we were talking about their future and about the possibility for business and, and the prospects for them. They were smart kids, kids. They were in their 20s. And they just could not take the step. And I said, what's wrong? And they talked about this jealousy issue that is in Haiti. And apparently, apparently, jealousy can get you killed in Haiti. The theory is on a gangster is that if you have something he doesn't have, the way to solve it is to destroy it or kill you not go get one of his own. And so these boys were looking at this realization that jealousy is hindering them. And I got off on, I mean, I started quoting scripture. I started talking about fruits of the Spirit and that jealousy is not on that. And I could tell that those boys were kind of backing up. And I thought, uh-oh, I really overstepped myself. I was too forceful. And they came back and they said, can you come to our church and, and preach that? I said, we don't have to go to your church. I mean, what can I have to ask your pastor? <laughs> I can't just go there, but you don't have to go to, to the church to hear this. We can study God's word here. When? I said, well, let's do it Thursday. And so I set it up and Thursday rolls around and I'm wondering whether these kids are going to show up or not. There were 10 people there. And they participated. They had questions. They wanted to know the truth. They wanted to know what God has to say. If you want to know how to live your life, go to the one who created it. He made the instruction book. And that's attractive. People want to know that. They don't want to hear the nonsense or the opinions. They want to know what it says. They said, can we do it again? Next week there was 20. And before it was over with, there was more people than what we had space in our house. Say yes to God's invitation and let him be responsible for the results. All he wants is your obedience. All he wants is for you to just take a small step forward and do that thing that's in front of you. It's a simple thing. And it'll build. It'll make you prepared for the next step. Some of you may never have had that aha moment that Isaiah had. Maybe some of you have not really seen and realized who God is. But today something happened. God made one of those little things happen to you and you, you, you suddenly realized who he is. And then the next thought you had is who you ain't. 
and your need for Him to intervene on your behalf. I invite you to accept His intervention. His name is Jesus. He's the one that removes the guilt and forgives the sin. He's the one that makes you the heir of all of this creation. You can be the friend of Jesus. You can be the co-heir with Jesus, as we heard in Romans this morning. I invite you now to take that and say yes to that. Maybe some of you have been, yeah, I've been theorizing, but I haven't been practicing. Wherever you are right now, just make it, put it in your head. Make a very small promise to God that you'll say yes on the next opportunity and be watching for that. If you don't see one, pray for one. But generally, if you just say, Lord, if you just give me one opportunity, I'll say yes to it. You won't have any problem. It's, my fear is not that he will. My fear is that he won't give me an opportunity. The altar is open. If you want to come and speak or pray or make a commitment, do so now. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.